Welcome to the ACC Podcast. My name's Tyler Birch. I'm a minister here at Anacortes Christian Church. We hope our weekly messages are a resource to help you grow spiritually and that they would bring you closer with God and His Son, Jesus. If you want more info about ACC, find us on Facebook or check out our website, anacortischristian.church. Enjoy the message. Hey, ACC family. Just a heads up for the audio this week. We had some issues recording, and the audio is a bit spotty up until the 14-minute mark. With that being said, we hope you enjoy this week's message and get to take some time soaking in the Word and growing closer to Him. We'll see you next week. Jesus has a story to tell us today, and, um, you know, as we'll see in a moment, often we've been going through the parables of Jesus some of them, we're not able to hit all of them. I mean, you know, Brian said even last week he could have camped out on, you know, just that chapter for 10 weeks in a row. But we're just looking through these stories. And Jesus has these stories that he tells us. And I believe each one of these stories is meant to get under your skin a little bit, to stick with you, to annoy you, to kind of, you know, like, kind of get stuck in your craw a little bit. Something you have to think through. What was he saying? Why did he say that? And this story from Matthew 20, I'm going to read it in just a moment, I believe is one of those. I pray, my hope and prayer this week is that this story sticks in your craw a bit this week. As we, as we look at this, this story and these words, and later on, adults, if you're like, it's not fair, I'm an adult, not a kid, you know, I can maybe share some of these. Otherwise, I will truly eat all of them, and that won't be good. So we'll, uh, feel free if you didn't get one. Uh, I'm sure you want to come up and get one later on. But let's read this. You can turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 20, or it'll be up on the screen as well. As we read this story, the parable um, for today. All right. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Probably most of you have heard this story before. But I really hope, again, as we go through it, that it's going to kind of annoy you a little bit, that you'll take the time. Don't just jump and say, like, oh, I'm th- I think I know what he's saying, and I'm okay with that. If that's your response, then you really haven't really dealt with his story well enough. Verse 3, and going out, About the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius, which a denarius was a, was a, a good sum. I mean, that was a a healthy day's wages back in those days. The, the, a Roman soldier would have gotten about that, maybe a little even less. So this was a good amount of money for the crowd that was listening. Now, when those hired first came, they thought 
maybe like Grayson may have, or he may have kind of figured out my trick ahead of time, right? He, he saw me carry in the two different tubs of cinnamon rolls, so he probably knew what I was up to today. But they thought to themselves that they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. What is Jesus up to in this story? It's not a good way to run a family, is it? It's not a good way to run anything. What's going on? That's not fair. That's not, that doesn't teach the people. Jesus, why are you telling the story this way? And kids, again, it would be just like this. What if I, you know, this morning I could use my own kids. Okay, what if this week I heard another preacher kind of use a similar example. What if this week I, I said, hey, the thing that I want you to do before the week is over, but before this weekend is over, is I really want you to clean out the garage. It's a mess. I mean, it's terrible. It's going to take a lot of work. And if you do that, I'll give you 50 bucks. Kids, would you take up your, your parents on that? 50 bucks? I mean, that's a lot of money, right? And so in that morning, you know, my son Wesley, uh, this, is, this is an imaginary story, so I'm just using their names just for fun, all right? My son Wesley wakes up 6 o'clock in the morning. He's like, I want that $50. I want to do that work, and I want to do it well. So he wake, he sets his alarm for 5.30, gets up, eats his bowl of cereal, goes out there and starts working. And he's like, oh, this is a mess. This is going to take all day. This is going to be hard. Meanwhile, his brother Gabriel is in there sleeping. And he sleeps and sleeps, and he wakes up about noon. You know, and he sees Wesley who's been out there working for hours and hours out there working. Wesley goes down, and he gets, his, or Gabriel goes down and gets his bowl of cereal and you know, he just kind of sits around and reads, goes out and plays. And around four o'clock, you know, Wesley's been in there working the whole time. Around four o'clock, Wesley comes up. He's like, hey, dad, can I help out? I'm like, sure, buddy. That'd be great. It really needs to get clean before the end of the day. We got people coming over and I'd love to have it clean. All right. And guys, you know where this story is going, right? It's a little harder to put yourself in to imagine how would Wesley feel at the end of the day if we line up to pay? And I'm like, Gabriel, come on up here. Hey, thank you so much for your work. Here's your 50 bucks. Oh, Wesley, come on up here. Hey, thank you so much for your work, buddy. Here's your 50 bucks. How's it going to feel? That's not fair. I think those are the words that Jesus kind of wants us to start getting up in our mind of like, hey, that's not fair. That's not right. That's not even good for Gabriel. What's that going to teach him about how to go through life? He's going to be lazy. He's going to do all these terrible things, and he's going to know he can just get away with it. That's enabling him. What's the deal? Jesus, what are you doing? Are you giving parenting advice or employment advice? What is it? What's Jesus up to? It's important to know to look back at the context of this story. Because right, this story happens right on the hills, and it's right a part of the man what we call the rich young ruler coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, 
you know, what should I do to inherit the kingdom, the eternal life? What should I do? What can I do to get there? And Jesus, you know, and you know the story. We don't have time to dive into it, even though I'd love to do it today. You know, he just, he kind of points out some things about this guy. And at the end of the story, the guy walks away sorrowful, dejected. And why was that? Because Jesus pointed out some things in this man that he wasn't willing to look to himself. He wasn't willing to see. There was a tumor. There was some darkness. There was something inside of him. And he looked like he had it all together. Everybody around this man would have said, that man is a first place type person. He's rich. He's young. He's got authority. He's got everything you could ever want. I mean, he's the guy that you would want on your stewardship committee of your ministry, Jesus, or your building committee. He can help us go places. And why are you turning him away? Because Jesus wanted to show that man there was something that he was missing. And in our world, it's like, Jesus, that's not fair. Look at that. Can you just help this man? Peter, because Jesus, you know, the story, again, he's, he's like, it, as the man's walking away, Jesus just kind of turns and says, man, it is easier for the camel to go, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. And the disciples are listening to that. And they're looking at this guy and they're like, holy cow, if he's not qualified, how can anybody be qualified? Because they're like, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus is like, yeah, it's impossible with man. But with God, nothing is impossible. And Peter's like, well, what about us? Lord, we've given every, we've, we've left everything. And Jesus is like, hey, if you keep following me, you're taken care of. Don't worry about it. But then he says, but the many who are first in this world will be, will be last. And the last are first. And then he goes on to tell that parable that, about the one that we just read, the workers. And again, he ends it with, and the last will be first, and the first will be last. He's illustrating what he's trying to tell us about the kingdom that we don't know. Because we have this, from the time we were born, this really great sense of justice. Don't we, kids? You know that, hey, we know what fair is. Nobody had to teach us, right? If, uh, you know, this week we had, you know... Uh, somebody in our house was like, mom, can I have a glass of milk? Like, oh, great. Yes, you can have a glass of milk, pour a glass of milk. We don't, we're, we're not just milk guzzlers. So maybe this wasn't mean anything because maybe you can just have as much milk as you want. Like for me, like milk was a luxury. I've talked about it before in sermons, right? Like anyway, so, you know, kid gets a glass of milk, perfectly happy until brother or somebody else is like, oh, she got a glass of milk. Well, I want a glass of milk. Can I have a glass of milk? Sure. And that person that's walking out of the room, you know, with a glass of milk that was perfectly content moments ago is standing there in the corner. And what do you think they're doing? Looking at that glass of milk to make sure, like measuring it with some, some thing that God gave us, right? Kids, you have the ability and adults, I'm sure we don't do this either, but you have the ability to, to weigh and to measure how much milk is that person getting? And is it exceeding the amount of milk that I got? Because if it's under, then I can still enjoy my milk. But what happens if it's over? It's like, this milk tastes terrible. Until I get more milk, right? And then you can see where this goes. And Jesus knew this in all of us. He sees our sense of justice and everything that we have. And he's trying to use that to drive home a point today that I hope we can get. As we unpack this story, the first point, I invite you to write it down. There's so much more I'd love to say about each one that we won't have time to go into, but here's my first point. Following Jesus means trading your firsts for God's first. 
Following Jesus means trading your firsts for God's firsts. I'd love for you to write that down or consider it or whatever it takes. We have pencils, we have bulletins, we have things because I want you to think through these words. There's going to be several statements like that today. And I want you just to think through them as we look at this parable that Jesus has wrapped in between these two slogans saying, many who are last will be first and then the first will be last and the last will be first. I'll say it one more time. Following Jesus means trading your firsts for God's firsts. And I kind of wrote in parentheses about God's first, which look a lot like lasts to my eyes. If that makes sense. If not, you can come up and ask me later. Jesus says, and he just said, after he's done talking to Peter, he says, all who leave homes, family, land, all of those things that give us stability, security, value, that those things that help us move up to the front of the line that we can measure ourselves by, all who give those up for him will receive much more in the age to come. And then, like we said, he wraps the story of the workers in that statement, many who are first. Again, they're just seeing the rich young ruler walk away, sorrowful, dejected. He was a first place type of person. Yet something in his firstness came between him and God. Many who are first will be last. And the last first. And again, at the end of the story, he repeats it just flips the order around. Jesus knows that we were all born with a strong desire to be first, to be recognized, or at least just have justice done. If there's a line of people, kids, you've been standing there in line at school or someplace else when somebody cuts in front of you. And what's going on in your mind in that moment? That's injustice. I worked hard to get my place in line. I should get what's coming to me. Jesus says, Yes, you should. My father knows that. But that's why he sent me. Following Jesus means trading your firsts for God's firsts. The second thing, following Jesus means coming to the end of my own worthiness. Coming to the end of my own worthiness. Again, I would invite you to write it down just to consider these statements. Following Jesus means coming to the end of my own worthiness. To build this paper airplane thing up so that Grayson would feel like he was worthy of some great prize and he was so disappointed that he walked back with the same prize that everybody else got because he was worthy of more, weren't you, Grayson? You threw it the furthest. You made the best airplane. Our sense of worthiness gets us in trouble. Jesus is trying to point that out in this parable. Following Jesus means coming to the end of my own worthiness. I mean, look at the story that we read. The first workers got there to the marketplace early in the morning. This is a farming community. This would have been, you know, and again, Jesus is making up this story to drive home a point, but the people would have recognized what's going on here. This would have been very familiar to them. For some reason, these were people that weren't connected to land. For whatever reason, their family lost the land at some point, and so they're in a place where they don't have their own vineyards and their own farms and their own spots, and they're dependent on its harvest time. And we hope to go out to the marketplace to get hired to help bring in the harvest of the landowners around us. And these were the people, the first workers that got up at the crack of dawn. 
All right, they got their breakfast, they had everything in order, they got there so that they could be first in line, so that they could be good, loyal, strong workers. And throughout the story, Jesus never cracks down on these people. He never shames them or never says anything that you did a bad job, you did something wrong. But at the end of the story, something leaves them also, just like the rich young ruler, walking away, grumbling and sorrowful. What is it? It's their own sense of worthiness, or at least the unworthiness of those who got more than they deserved. They agreed to work for a denarius. That was a good wage. And yet they tell the master, they say, you have made them, and they probably put some emphasis on them, those lowly people, you know, there's the people that were hired at nine, there's the people that were hired at noon, there's the people that hired at 3 a.m. or 3 p.m., and then there were those one-hour workers. You made them equal to us? We bore the burden of the day and the heat. You got to say this with me. That's not fair. That's right. Jesus was showing them the problem of their own worthiness. The Jews thought that because they had known God's law and served him their whole life, God in the end was going to reward them to the exclusion of all of them around them. I believe Jesus was showing them and he was showing us. That your obedience of my law your church attendance, your loyal service, you're not saying cuss words, you're not whatever doing this and you're this doing this and all those things. You have no comprehension though of the righteousness and the holiness of God and how tragically far from the most perfect person among us, how tragically far the most perfectly person among us falls short of being worthy of coming anywhere close to God writes this later on saying in 1 Peter 3:18 For Christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God You want to talk about the most extreme injustice in the entire world. There's a lot of injustice in the entire world but the most extreme injustice in the entire world is the gospel message. He alone bore the burden. They asked the question, who can be saved? Jesus is like, I know. That camel through the eye of the needle thing, I know that is completely impossible for rich man and for poor man. It's impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. They had no idea what Jesus was going to do. But Jesus just, he just invites them and says, follow me. Again, he kept telling them what he was going to do, but he said, follow me. And again, following Jesus equals coming to the end of my own worthiness. But that's really difficult. That's not just some easy, quick decision. Okay, sure, I'm not that worthy. 
And yet we go through life, don't we, so often with our own little worthiness meter, and we're checking the worthiness meters of those around us, and any time that glass of milk gets a little bit higher than we think it would, should, what follows? Jealousy. Grumbling. Anger. Lashing out. Withdrawing from people. They don't deserve what they're getting. They don't deserve what they've done to me. Therefore, I will not do this. But the gospel message equals coming to the end of my own worthiness. And number three, following Jesus means responding to the invitation from the master of the house. Following Jesus means responding to the invitation from the master of the house. Can you imagine leaving here today with a brand new occupation? I mean, that's like a dream come true, right? I don't know, for some of us, maybe you're you're super happy in your career, but imagine leaving here today with a brand new occupation. I don't know what you do. I don't know what your life looks like. I don't know if you're maybe just super happy with what you do in life, both your job, your family, and everything, but imagine the master's invitation, come work in my vineyard. Imagine that opportunity. He offers it to good, loyal workers, the kind of people that get in, get up early and are, work hard. He also offers it to the people who sleep in a little bit and, he, and make it out there by 9 a.m. He even goes back out at noon and 3 and even 5 o'clock. And then most shockingly of all, he offers it to those people that weren't there at six, at nine, at noon, or at three. He goes out and he asks them, why are you still standing here idle? Why are you still standing here doing nothing? And they say, no one hired us. I know it's an excuse. If it were me, if I were the master, I'd say, oh, of course no one hired you. You were sleeping and being lazy all day. You were standing there, but you weren't ready to to work. Don't give me some lame excuse like that. Is that how the, uh, the master responds? He simply says, you go work too. What does it mean to respond to this invitation to work in his vineyard? Does it mean that you must become a preacher or a missionary? I mean, maybe. I don't know what it's for you. God may be laying that on your heart. And if that's something that he's leading you to or maybe to explore, I wouldn't suggest resisting him. But don't walk down that path just because you think it's the best way to please God. Because if you do, you're you're simply falling down an old familiar path. You're trying to be first in line. You're trying to prove your worth to him by serving him in full-time ministry. And if you aren't careful, you'll quickly join the path of the rich young ruler. Many preachers and missionaries have walked that path and left a trail of heartache and pain both in their own life and their family and those they've ministered to because they were trying to jump up to the first of the line and saying, I've got worth and I've got value and I'll show you. Working in his vineyard doesn't just mean to become a full-time minister. It means that you recognize the vineyard that God has placed you in your family, your work, your city, and you get busy following Jesus' example of laying down your rights and your own worthiness and instead extending radical generosity in the face of blatant unworthiness. A lot of big words, kids, there, but I'd again invite, I'd invite you to write that down. He invites us to extend radical generosity 
in the face of blatant unworthiness. Because when you really think about it, that's what the gospel message is. He extends radical generosity in the face of our blatant extreme. You could not paint a picture. You cannot come up with the imagery to really fully describe our unworthiness. We were not the people that were there an hour before. We were the people that showed up a millisecond before. And the generosity of the Father is shocking. He should not have done that. He said, no. He should have said, no, you are not worthy. You are, you're not, you know, none of them were worthy. Didn't matter how early they got there, they were so far, far short of worthiness to be in the kingdom. That's why Jesus said, yes, with man it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. The first workers show up, they complain. When they see this happen, they see, hey, that guy got a denarius, and that guy got, what's going on here, and why did I get one too? Jesus says, friend, or Matthew 20, 13, friend, I am doing you no wrong, the master says. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. Take what I've given you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. And again, I think, Lord, are you sure? Isn't that going to post a, you know, set a bad precedent for people? I mean, isn't that, is that really what you want to do? He says in verse 15, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? And again, each one of these statements here, you could stop and spend 30 minutes or more fleshing out. It's incredible, the intensity of what he's saying. And then this final statement. Or do you begrudge my generosity? And I think that's where Jesus is really trying to get to the point. That sense of fairness, that injustice that we've had ever since the beginning of the world. There's something that's been out of whack. Eve, whenever she recognized and saw that the fruit looked good to her eye, and she reached out and took what God had not given her, she said, God, what you've given me isn't enough. What you've given me isn't good enough. I see something else that may be better, and it's not fair for you to keep it from me. And she reached out and took it. Or you can go to any story throughout the Bible of Cain. It's not fair. Why did God accept Abel's worship and sacrifice and not mine? David, as he reached out and he took what God hadn't given him, what God hadn't called good, and he said, but it looks so good to my eye. Do you begrudge my generosity? I like the translation that says, are you envious because I am generous? And I think that's a question that we have to stop and dwell upon. You know, we can back up and we can be like, oh, I'm so glad that, that God, you know, he's offered this way to salvation for people. And I don't care when they get saved, whether it's when they're a kid or on their deathbed. But then you have to really stop and examine your own sense of justice and the way that you're living your life. Are you living your life as one who is worthy? Or are you living your life who recognizes your incredible, tragically unjust unworthiness, yet Jesus has given you the opportunity to labor in your vineyard to every person around you, even the guy driving that black BMW. God says, do you begrudge my generosity? More literally, is your eye bad because I am good? 
Again, I think Jesus is trying to point out that the way that we see the world, that sense of justice and injustice, and the things that we see, if the milk's just a little bit more, there's something wrong. And who are we to claim that the one who spoke the world into existence and to set back and looked at it and proclaimed, what did he say about everything that he made? It is good, and yet we are the ones that sit there with our eyes, and we say, no, it's not fair. He's holding something back. That over there is good. You're wrong, master. You were wrong to give to those people. The extreme injustice of the gospel, 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's not fair. But the extreme generosity, the radical generosity of our Father is what the gospel message is all about. It's what the story Jesus wanted us to recognize that we're going through life sometimes with our eyesight messed up and we're looking around and we're saying, is everything just? He wants us to look with brand new eyes where we've been forgiven more than we could ever possibly be forgiven. And yet Jesus wants to set us and he says, follow my example of extending radical generosity to those around you. Or yes, they are unworthy just as you are unworthy. So many questions this raises for me. Lord, what about like, you know, I, there's all sorts of questions we could go into. What does that mean in my relationships, in my different thing? I don't know. There's lots of other st- places in the Bible that answer other questions. But today, I think he wants us to just kind of spend some time with that, that statement that so often controls how we live our life. That's not fair. Or maybe it takes on a different approach. Maybe it's like, what about us? What about me? Like Peter said, What about me? Why are they getting the attention? What about me, Lord? What's left for me? And God wants us to say, no, I've invited you to be a laborer in my vineyard. Trust me with them. Trust me with their reward. And just enjoy my generosity and extend it to those around you. Imagine what it would be like to live that way. What does that look like? I don't know fully, but God wants us to spend some time. Again, following Jesus, trade your firsts for God firsts. What firsts are getting in your way these days? What is the thing in the front of your mind when you wake up and at the end of the day it controls you? If you're like, man, if I could just get to this spot or if I could just have that or if I could just kind of, you know, arrive at this place, then I would be there. God's saying be careful because more often than not in this life, those who are first will end up being last, not because God's making them, but because they quickly walk away and they say they reject the path that God offers to us. So trade your firsts for God's firsts. Come to the end of your worthiness. It's an invitation. Come to the end of your worthiness. Live. How do you do that? The only way to come to the end of your worthiness is to live in awe of his worthiness. The next time you're tempted to say or think or respond or, you know, it's not fair or maybe withhold love from somebody else because of your sense of justice, remember the extreme injustice of the gospel and the invitation from Jesus is just like, follow me. Follow the master, what he's doing, what I'm participating in, follow me. And then finally, I pray this morning, respond to his invitation to you. His invitation to you to says, come and work in my vineyard. 
Let me take this new way of living, not living your life through this sense of justice, and, but living your life through the incredible injustice of the gospel and pouring out the love and the care and the graciousness and the generosity of it on the people that are around you. And again, if you're like me, you're like, well, Lord, what about this and what about that? And I think he invites us to have those conversations with both him and others today. My invitation here before we pray and before we move into our communion time again is that you will receive that radical generosity. And after receiving it, you will begin living your life extending it to those around you. I believe that's the message that Jesus had for us in this story. In a moment, we're going to pray. Um, after we pray, I invite the men to go to the back, and I'm going to read something after a little bit. It just kind of prepares us a bit more for our communion time, after the commun time of communion. And again, I also invite, I know there's a couple boys that I've, my children, my sons that I've asked to go back, and it's Family Sunday. We'd like to kind of get in the rhythm of even inviting some of the other um, young men from our congregation who would like to, to go back and to help. So if you're able to do that, I would love for you guys to do that. There'll be some men in back that can help fill in the gaps if we don't have enough. Um, Bud will be back there to show you. Um, but this is an opportunity for us to respond. And maybe your response is like, hey, I've got questions. And there's a prayer time that will be happening over behind the, prayer, uh, behind the stairs in room 201. I'll be up here. I don't have all the answers, but I'd be glad to listen, to respond. There's other people. We don't want you to walk away here unchanged. And I don't think you can walk away from Jesus' story without it really sticking with you, maybe annoying you a little bit. So I want to invite you to respond, to accept, and to extend the radical generosity of God in the face of our blatant unworthiness. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Mark, for such a great message about accepting God's generosity to us, even while we were unworthy, and we still are unworthy. As Mark said, our prayer is that the generosity we have been given will be poured out to you and then poured out from you to those within your life. Just a reminder that we love you and God loves you and you have a place here in Accordus Christian Church. During the summer months, we only have one service at 10 a.m., but in September, we return to our normal schedule of two services, one at 8.15 and one at 10 a.m. We hope to see you soon.